0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for um, the witness of the saints and the way you've worked through uh, powerful theologians who um, have insight into your mind as revealed in Scripture. And so we just ask during this time that you would show us um, through the words of Scripture, through the words of um, great theologians, what it means to have our faith worked out in love, what it means to... Put feet and hands on our faith, um, what it means to let you do that for us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be here palpably present. Take my words, take Bethany's words, and make them your word to us this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So I um, had a dream the other day, and it was a very vivid dream. I don't normally dream in vivid dreams, but this was a very vivid dream. It was one of those dreams that made me so uncomfortable that I would even go so far as to say that maybe it was a nightmare. And I found myself at the bottom of a ladder, and the ladder just went up and up and up and up and up. I couldn't see the end of the ladder, but the ladder had its foot on earth. Then the ladder went way up into the sky, really high, up into the clouds. I couldn't see where it went. And um, there I was at the bottom of the ladder, and someone came up to me and they said, well, you've got to climb the ladder. I thought climb the ladder, I don't like heights, I have unsure footing, my eyesight's bad, what do you mean, I've got to climb the ladder? And the person said, and here's a bucket of chalk, what you've got to do, so here I am thinking, okay, how am I going to put the chalk on my hand, you know, maybe I could put it like a purse on my wrist, take chalk and make a hash mark at every rung <coughs> of the ladder, because every rung of the ladder is one of your sins, so you've got to make a hash mark to show it's been forgiven, you just got to keep climbing. One after another, hash mark, climb, hash mark, climb, hash mark, climb. And that will show that the sin has been canceled out. So there I am in this dream. It's a terrible dream, right? What a horrible dream. Climbing higher, using the chalk, getting tired, getting way up there. I'm up in the clouds now. Suddenly I can't see the ground, which is even scarier, right? You don't look down, right? So I'm going up, and as I'm reaching up, I make a hash mark, and suddenly someone steps on my hand. I thought, what is that? And I look up, and up there was my good friend and colleague, Bethany Rushing, and she was going down the ladder. And I said, what are you doing going down the ladder? And she said, I ran out of chalk. Oh. Ooh, it's a burn. I asked her permission beforehand if I could tell that joke. And it's actually a terrible joke, and it's not that funny. It is funny, but it really, I first heard this joke in a context where my father was doing alpha with this other gentleman who's very funny. He was like, he was British. This was in Boston when they did alpha at my dad's church. And every night they would begin alpha with the joke. And my dad just got roasted. Every week, he got roasted by this hilarious Brit. So finally, he had heard this joke somewhere else, and he brought it up, and he really got him back by this last one. And everybody was roaring. It was very funny. It's less funny now because it's hard to believe that Bethany has more sins than I do, and nobody's counting. I actually, my, I was telling my dad when I, he retold it to me, I was like, I think this is going to work. And he said, well, you could always say it's good work. And I would say, yeah, Bethany has more runs on the ladder if they're good works than I do. But the problem is this whole image of the ladder to begin with. How many of us tend to look at Christianity as a ladder? It was a popular image actually in the Middle Ages. There were some early mystics who saw Christianity as a ladder. You know, your good works get you to heaven, essentially. And there's some, even some icons where you see devils on one side of the ladder trying to pull Christians down, monks especially down off the ladder, and angels on the other side trying to help them. What a terrible way of viewing our faith. So don't get me wrong, I am not saying our faith is a ladder. Actually, what I'm saying is the exact opposite. But I think that we get in our minds that this is the way our faith is. This is the way our life is. And in this great book that I love, this um, book called Where God Meets Man, by Gerhard Forde. He is a theologian, a Lutheran theologian, who tries to take Luther's ideas from the Reformation and clarify them for you and me, for everyday people. And he does it really well. What he says is that this idea of a ladder, this ladder theology, this ladder worldview, is a way of thinking that is a kind of universal disease of mankind. It's a way for us we try to go up the down staircase, we try to ascend to heaven on our own works, and even when we know we're saved by grace we still try to do this, and so I'm going to look at that a little bit. Um, it is like trying to go up the down escal- escalator. Have you ever gotten on the wrong escalator? <laughs> it's it's really, that's actually comedic fodder if you've ever seen any kind of funny movie where someone's going up a down escalator. Um, well, four day here on Martin Luther, he talks about the law and the gospel, and he talks about it in light of this ladder image. So a lot of us view the law, God's law, as a way to God, a kind of salvation. If we do it, if we obey it, we get better. It's a kind of ascension, climbing the ladder to get to heaven, climbing the ladder to earn favor with God, climbing the ladder to receive something good from God, doing something good and then expecting something good in return this makes sense to us, doesn't it? I mean, think about most of our lives. This is actually in some ways the way the world works. Most of our lives are spent working for some kind of reward. We teach our children this way. We act this way. I still will eat my dinner so that I can get the dessert afterwards. (laughs) I still think about myself and think, okay, you can do just a little bit more work and then you can play that game online or you can do just a little more of this, and then you can take a rest. Or a little bit more, and then you can watch a show. If you just do a little bit more, then you can then you can rest. Work is, we think about it too in our workplaces. I think about this a lot. How many of you in your workplace have a totem pole, a hierarchy, and you've got to work hard at the bottom of the totem pole to be able to rise and get a promotion. So we have this rewards-based mentality, this ladder-based mentality. And we look at God's law, and we see God's law as a kind of ladder, a way to God. There's a danger too, then if if the ladder is the law and the way to God, there's a danger for those of us who know the difference between the law and the gospel. If we say, well, but I've been saved by grace, and I get that. Thank goodness, I mean that. I've been saved by grace. um, Then we still have this danger of turning the gospel into another kind of ladder where we say the ladder is our salvation, but now someone else has climbed the ladder for us on our behalf to pay our debt. This sounds good on, on the surface. We say, well, yeah, that's right. Isn't that what Jesus does? Yes, he does pay our debt, the debt of our sin. But when we have a ladder theology and we approach the gospel in this way, what we do then is we make faith a work. Jesus has done it for us, but I still have to believe. I have to reach out. I've got to grasp it by faith. My faith is will still have to be something that I do. It ends up being centered on us when this latter theology is a part of our DNA. I see this especially where faith becomes a work. I see it especially in churches that mistreat people by exhorting them to have more faith in a given situation, especially in the midst of suffering. Or when, especially in churches, I hate to say it, it often accompanies churches that have wonderful healing ministries healing is great, but very often when healing doesn't come, the person who's sick is blamed. Where was your faith? Why didn't you have enough faith to be healed? They blame the lack of faith if all does not go well for them. That's part of the false gospel, the prosperity gospel. We as human beings who have this universal disease of a ladder mentality, we see the gospel as another way of climbing the ladder. And Luther cuts through this. Luther cuts through this by saying that the the way the universe works, we might have this latter mentality as part of our human disease, but the way the universe works, the way our God works, is that He does not no one can ascend. We hear that in Scripture. Who can ascend into heaven? No one can ascend but one has descended. God has come down to us. God has come down to us in Jesus Christ. And in him, that voice of the law, the law that always accuses us, as Melanchthon says, that law is silenced. That voice of our conscience that says, you didn't get enough work done today. You didn't do all of what you set out to do on your to-do list. You um, said that unkind thing. That law that accuses is silenced. Because in Jesus Christ, we are no longer condemned. In him, God has come down to us in love. The gospel comforts us by putting an end to that voice of the law. That voice is stopped. Because what the law demands, our righteousness, what the latter is set up to produce, is actually already there. Really there for us in Christ Jesus. In Christ, that new creation has already and actually broken in on us. As Four Day says in this book, The gospel is the story of him who shattered the grammar of earth, who broke open the closed circle of the voice of the law and gave us the gift of hope. God comes down to us in Jesus Christ. That's how that closed circle is broken. Jesus said even about that, no one has ascended into heaven. No one has climbed the ladder except he who descended from heaven, the son of God. And he's referring there to a wonderful Old Testament story, as he also refers to it in John chapter 1. There's a new disciple, Nathaniel, who encounters Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Oh, I know you. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And he says, Oh, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Nathaniel thinks, Who in the world is this who saw me when I was under the fig tree? Which makes me always wonder, What in the world was he doing under the fig tree? that he thought, wow, that person saw me doing that. It's a mystery there. Something we can ask Nathaniel in heaven. But Jesus' response to Nathaniel early on, John chapter 1, verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Scripture says that Jesus himself is the latter. He's the one who has come down from heaven to earth on our behalf. There, of course, he's referring to He's referring to Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28 where Jacob, running away from his family, running to his uncle, dreamed and he saw in his dream a ladder. It was a better dream than my fake dream. He saw in his dream a ladder and on the ladder there were angels ascending and descending on it. And he said, I'm in the presence of God. This is the house of God, the gate of God. And he named that place Bethel Jesus in talking to Nathaniel is referring back to that moment in Genesis. He's saying, what Jacob saw, it only happens because of me, which is a big thing to say. But he is the Son of God, the one who has come down. And we see this descent of Jesus, this humility of his also in Philippians. Paul mentions it in Philippians chapter 2 when he's urging the Philippians to have the same mind of Christ where love comes down. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's a poem that's turned into a song that we sing on Christmas Day and around Christmas. And I love it. It refers to this. If you hear the first verse, it's by Christina Rossetti. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. Jesus Christ, God's love, has come down to us. His grace and His mercy. So what for us then? Now that we've been saved, do we get back on the ladder? And no, no, not at all. Faith is not a work that we have to drum up within ourselves, that we ourselves have to produce. Actually, what Fourday says, that Luther says, which is so amazing, is that the cross itself creates faith in us. The fall, if you think about the fall of Adam and Eve, he calls the fall a fall from faith. Adam and Eve were there just trusting in God. They were his creatures, delighted to sit in his presence, delighted to enjoy all that he'd given them. They were able to be creatures without trying to climb the ladder, without trying to become little gods themselves, until that fateful day with the fruit. And the fruit, eating the fruit, was really a bid for divinity, wasn't it? We don't trust him suddenly. Suddenly, how do we know that he's really got our good? In his mind. How do we know that he's working things out for us? How do we know? Well, we better just start to take this fruit, disobey him to know. And in that disobedience, they fell from faith. And in our sin, we find ourselves without faith, separated from God. But the cross creates faith in in us. And then faith, this is one of my favorite things from this book. Can you tell me I'm giving you like hugely an airplane flyover of this book? But one of my favorite lines about faith, what he says about faith is that what now is faith? Well, faith produces in us creatureliness once again. It enables us to live as creatures on God's good earth, to trust him for everything, instead of trying to become little gods ourselves, instead of trying to climb higher. Relieved of climbing to heaven, as Forte says, we get earth back as a gift. What a gift to receive back the goodness in creation, to receive back the kingdom that's here, a kingdom that is under sway of the prince of this world, the dark one. And yet we know that this kingdom, his kingdom, is coming to an end and that God's kingdom will reign and indeed has begun to reign in Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. So what we hear about this, what now for our lives do we then Approach our Christian lives again as a ladder? And the answer is no, not at all. We can't. And we might find ourselves going back to that mentality. um, But instead, we need to remember and receive again a belief in the cross and resurrection, as he writes, that does not impel the believer to despise genuine human achievement. That's the other thing is that when we have recognized that we've been climbing the ladder and we say, okay, that's not how it works. I can't climb the ladder. There's no ladder. Jesus has come down for me. Still, we get afraid of, the, of doing anything good. And I get afraid of doing anything good because I think, well, then I'm going to know about it. In the end, my pride and arrogance, I, my pride and arrogance, my sinful flesh is going to start climbing the ladder again, won't it? It'll say, good job, another good one. All right, here we go. I'm trucking along. This is great. And um, and Forde and Luther actually... There's this idea that grace um, is different from works or that faith is different from works, that we can't even think about good works if we have faith. We can't even let ourselves know that we're doing them. And sometimes I like to not let myself know that I'm doing them. But in fact, as Four Day writes, this should not impel us. A true belief in the cross and a resurrection does not impel us to despise genuine human achievement. Instead, it should leave us, lead us to just the opposite, it should enable the believer to perceive and rejoice in precisely that kind of goodness that results when man truly acts as God's creature. As creatures, we're here to tend the garden. We're here to be fruitful and multiply. We're here to enjoy and to leave the outcome of things to God, to trust in Him. Forday keeps saying, again, another good quote, God's action on our behalf makes us responsible of being for the first time. And so when we pray, when we pray as we pray every time we worship, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're waiting not for this mysterious heaven up there at the end of the ladder, this heaven that exists in our mind, this utopia. No, instead we're waiting for the world to come where God is exalted, where God is enthroned, and it's here already. Jesus has already died and been risen. Raised from the dead. God's kingdom has come. It will come. It is coming. And yet we look around and we see there's still so much brokenness, so much pain and heartache, so much destruction. And that's hard. And yet what that's meant to do is to cause us to rejoice in our creatureliness and to trust in God. So in the midst of this tension, this tension between what is, we are righteous. We're still sinners. We are saved. Our her creation, all creation, has been restored, and yet not fully yet. There is this tension between what has already come and what will come. That perfection, that completion, and in the midst of that tension, what we often find is that the gospel produces in us responses to suffering and brokenness that we we are just overwhelmed by. How many of us have found compassion overtaking us in very inconvenient ways? This is a good thing. The response of compassion to brokenness is a gospel response. We had these great um, interns here at the Advent for Youth Ministry, and they were here all summer, and one of them is not from the Advent. He gave this great devotional, and it's, still rings true with me. And it was a rough day. I was supposed to go to the hospital to visit someone, and I hadn't been able to go yet, and I kind of was like, I've got meetings all day. I don't know that I can do this. Do they really need me to go see them? It was it was one of those iffy situations. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. As soon as I saw them, they just burst into tears. It wasn't a life or death situation, but it was one of those situations where the person just needed someone. And I'd been withholding that. I'd been like, I don't have time for this. But in going to that, in doing what I was supposed to do, and doing what God needed me to do in that moment, in giving up this God-like control over meetings, over the way my day was going to go, I found myself doing exactly what this young intern, without thinking about it, and without thinking about myself in it, and actually being aware of my own selfishness in it, I did, the Lord did, through me, exactly what this young intern said, which is that he told a story about running towards brokenness, running downhill towards brokenness. As Christians, that's what we do. We're called to run downhill towards brokenness, right into the mess, right into the heartache, and that that's what God has done for us, and that receiving what God has done for us, naturally produce in us that gospel, produces in us that gospel response. So compassion is a good thing. It is grace at work in us, manifesting itself in love and mercy as we are living creatures tried to each other and to creation. This is what it means what Paul means when he talks about working out our faith in fear and trembling. This is our faith at work. Well, Often, this compassion is what I see, and what I'm sure Bethany sees a lot of times too, as people come to us um, in mission and outreach wanting to help in some way. And this is, it's a painful place to be, isn't it? When your heart is broken by the world, it's a painful place to stay. And yet, it's a place where I'm going to leave us as Bethany gets up and talks to us a little bit. So, take it away, Bethany.
1: Woo! Woohoo! Thank you, Bethany. <laughs> We're gonna take a little comedic break real quick. Oh, good. (laughs) Um, So for us to talk about compassion, I think first of all we have to address the faulty assumptions that we have in our head of what real compassion looks like. So I turned to Google um, to to kind of inform what it looks like. So this is compassion according to the internet. So compassion looks like holding free range chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Or using a stethoscope on somebody. Putting your arm over sad people. Passing out Bibles to children. Literally, when you when you Google compassion, like some of these images will come up. Giving money to people who kneel. That's probably one of the first pictures that might come into your head when you think of compassion. Handing leftovers to people wearing beanies. And then lots of hand holding. Like a like a walk. um and so that's the image that we generally have in our heads of what compassion looks like and compassion being faith working itself out in love suffering alongside others um but what if compassion is more than just these images these pretty um images that really can be a little bit idolatrous um so if you have your bible we're going to read from first corinthians 12 nope okay If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping and administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do the work of miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And as you know, this moves into um, talking about love. Um, When I was a child, this really rang true to me because I I could see in myself desiring to be that other body part that maybe God had not made me. Maybe I'm an eye and I really wanted to be an ear, and I would see my friends that were doing these great things really naturally, or I'd see my siblings that were really gifted in certain ways and I really wanted to have their giftings instead of looking at how God had made me and how God had uniquely equipped me to be a part of this larger body Um, sometimes that happens with us when we hear um, when we hear about these great Christians across the world that are experiencing great persecution in light of their work for the gospel and we think I can't do this and and we feel bad about ourselves and we think that every, every bit of the, the good that we are doing on behalf of Christ is somehow, um, not worthy. So sometimes we'll write a check cause it makes us feel a little bit better, um, a little bit less guilty. Um, or we, we really do self justification and say, you know, this is not what God has called me to do. Um, so I'm just going to continue doing my regular activities. Um, and then I'll, I'll support from afar. But if we look at this, um, especially verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're really reminded that ha- as Jesus came into the world and turned things upside down, um, that the weak were honored, that we can remember that, that the way God has placed things is the way he, he wants it. And so if, if our role in the broader kingdom of God is to be that I, um, then we should be so grateful that He's made us an eye, and, and earnestly seek how does He want us to be the best eye we can be. Um, so when we think about this in terms of compassion, what if compassion is carrying out the mundane household chores? Like what, what if what if it's a lot more simple than we um, than we think it has to be? What if it's encouraging your coworkers <laughs> that are sitting next to you? What if it's volunteering to drive a smelly carpool? Um, <laughs> um, and, I, and I think this is where it comes um, to how our hearts pricked with compassion is a great gift. Um, and it's a gift from the Lord. And lots of times we want to jump right into action because really compassion hurts. And it is this deep, tense um, part of life. When we suffer alongside another person, um, it doesn't feel good. Um, we want to go to things being fixed and solved. So if we're confronted with a crisis from someone, we want to be able to do the thing that's going to make them not suffer, not so they're not suffering, but so we don't have to deal with it. Um, I had um, really, this came to life this past weekend. My sister and brother-in-law just moved to Memphis about a year ago. Um, He's a doctor and she's doing her residency there. And they chose to be a part of this community um, that moved into the inner city of Memphis in an area called Orange Mound. Um, their goal at some point is to move overseas and so they felt like this was a really important part of not just being trained in how to treat people in the medical world but also how to live amongst the poor um, and to build community there Um, and so this program has been around for a while and they've been there for a month and so um, I got in town Thursday night and um, within 30 minutes of being there their doorbell rang and there were a couple kids just on their porch and um, asking for rides home and I was frustrated because I wanted to just hang out with my sister um, but she was elated to be able to to help with this one tiny need um, not out of a sense of guilt or of wanting to make herself feel better but out of genuine love and compassion for the people that God had placed in her life over this past month um, so I not feeling so great about it drove along with her as she dropped off these kids and talked to the parents and the next day Um, A woman came about halfway through the day and she had a wound, a burn that she had picked the scab off of. And my sister went out and tried to help with that. And she came back three or four times that night and her family had dropped her off and said, we can't let you stay with us tonight. And we didn't know the whole story, but um, through the course of the next hour or so, the woman sat on the porch and we called different shelters, um, trying to really be the hands and feet of Christ. Um, in a way that was appropriate, and so we stopped and we prayed, and, um, and it was a great opportunity for me to see my sister and brother-in-law thriving in this environment that they felt God had called them to, um, and it also really convicted me of um, my gut reaction is to go to how can I justify why I don't have to do something. And I'm the mission and outreach director of this church. And I still went straight there. Why, obviously the Lord doesn't need me to do this. You know, he's gonna take care of her. Um, and it was this convicting moment of my sister saying to me, but I, but I love these people. And so why wouldn't I do this? Here, here's the boundary I know I don't need to cross. And I feel really confident about this, but why wouldn't I do everything in my power to try to find her a place that she can stay tonight? Um, we ran into her the next night um, or the, the next afternoon right before I left, and, and she was fine, um, and we don't know what's going on with her. Um, this is the tense place that we are called to stay, in the already but the not yet, when we have promised that, that Christ will redeem this world, but we, we see evidence of the brokenness all around us, um, and yet we are called to be salt and light and to be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, which means that life is uncomfortable for us. Um, but what a beautiful place to be there where our hearts have been pricked by compassion, that we have the opportunity, um, to extend love and grace to a world that's hurting. Um, and to be able to, to feel, um, to feel the great emotion, which is also a gift, um, to not go through life apathetic. Um, and so as we, let me see what time it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're, we're doing good. Um, so we we're continuing the series next week, and we'll talk a little bit about um, maybe a little bit more practical yeah. things. Um, but but we wanted to really leave you um, in this tense place. Um, that there are no easy answers. This is not a step by step guide to how we're supposed to treat every single situation that we encounter. Uh, but thanks be to God that um, that He's left us with His Holy Spirit to guide and to um, to give us that spirit of discernment. And so. Um, one of the things that we will encourage you to do this next week, when you notice that your heart is being pricked with compassion with your, when you're recognizing suffering, whether it's in your family or in your friend groups or with strangers, um, that you, you drive past, um, stop and pray. Um, when you look through scripture, Christ is always moving us to action. Um, but we can't act in our own strength. Um, and we're not, we're not called to act in our own strength, which is also a great blessing. Um, so the, what's the alliteration that I used the other day, I would like to give you permission to pause and pray. Um, we don't have to rush to action. Um, we don't have to rush for a sense of finality or completeness, and we're called to live in this tension. Um, and we're called to, to turn to Jesus, um, in those times of, of great tension.
0: And I, yeah, just to point out too, that sometimes when we do rush to action, we're doing it for ourselves. And that's the danger of rushing to action: is that we're stay, we're doing it to alleviate the tension, to alleviate the pain that we feel in seeing and experiencing someone else's pain. And very often that leads us then to take actions that are not actually helpful or life-giving, or that or that get us ho- off the hook, but that don't deepen and broaden relationship, where the real the the Lord can really work in deeper and more marvelous ways. So, yeah. so sorry. Yes. Yeah. So good. Any questions, we do want to take some time and pray together because that's what we're saying we need to do is pray, right? So we'll take some time and pray. Rachel.
1: I mean, I just have to make all this training right now, so maybe my questions are better for next week. But I think it's just, I personally struggle with at work are kind of set boundaries with compassion. Sure. And so sometimes it's hard to know outside of being in that framework, setting boundaries for yourself, and I'm curious for your sister, mm. what kind of boundaries or what they set in terms of, he kind of alluded to that she's kind of figured out like what boundaries yeah. or what lines she can't yeah. see. So mm-hmm. That is a whole separate thing, mm-hmm. and I agree think you're doing yeah. more from the heart, totally, but um, I'm just curious, and, we, and you can address that later. Yeah, before. and we, we can talk about it definitely in more specifics next week, but I'll also say, um, It's really important, I think, in in those definitely more extreme situations of living out that act of compassion is to do that not in isolation. So they're part of a broader group that has a community. And so it's not that they're just being these crusaders, um, but they have people that have been in the community for a long time that have kind of helped and advised. And so they know, you know, this woman that they haven't known a very long time, she knew her boundary was, she couldn't tell her that she could come and stay with her.
0: Right. That, that was their boundary because there
1: wasn't, there wasn't a relationship, um, you know, down the road that might be possible, but, and then also, you know, being able to look at the resources around and, and not, not think that she had to, and this is her, this, and she, I will make her listen to this too. We've talked about this since she was a child, you know, she's always had such a strong heart of compassion that she really can quickly move into really feeling responsible. And so recognizing that Jesus is the one who's responsible for her, but we might have a role to play in what she's going through in her life, mm-hmm. I think is a really important distinction.
0: Mm-hmm. It can get complicated sometimes. It can. I'm thinking of a young lady about 23 years old, 50 years ago, came into UAB with a heart stopping, and all these people worked vigorously and overtime and you know, attracted getting this and she got operated on. For a while she could only be kept alive by pushing on her chest you know, wow. until the could be put together. So she got operated on and went home and two weeks later shot and killed her boyfriend. Oh, oh my goodness. So yeah. And that's one of those moments where we moments. have to say, as I'm sure you might have said, Dr. Shepard, the Lord is the Lord. Whoa. And the <laughs> Lord is the Lord and he... He knew he knew the bigger picture that we could never see in yep. that, and that's where, again, resting in our creatureliness and mm-hmm. saying, and even resting in our creatureliness is a way of saying, I can't have the, I can't go so far as to have this woman sleep on my couch, but I could, I do have 10 minutes and I can call around, um, just sort of testing those limits and saying, where are we creatures and where are we letting God be God? But. As the bells are
1: ringing, I'm aware we better we better pray now or hold our peace. Yeah. right. Can we pray for us? Yeah, yeah. Um, dear Lord, we thank you so much for um, for your love, which has which has given us everything. And through your love, Lord, we thank you that we can extend that um, to those in need. And so we do pray for for eyes of compassion, Lord. We pray that you will open our eyes to the suffering that's around us, and that you will direct our actions, Lord. Um, we pray for pure hearts. Um, for no selfish motivation, Lord, um, but we do pray that um, that you will make us more into your own image, to the image of Jesus. Uh, we thank you for all of those gathered here today, Lord, and we pray that as we go out um, that we will be filled with your love um, and light. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.